What it is, what's up, and welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I am your host, Rafe Hewson, and today I am joined by a very special guest. He's a man known by many names and a couple of faces. It is the one and only Chainsaw Tony Myers, aka, why don't you just run them all down? Because you were telling me the, the different names and there was like a hundred of them. <laughs> well, when Bogo first brought back the Leatherface gimmick, he was like, yeah, we'll have you come back as Leatherface. And I thought, man, aren't we going to like, and, and he agreed with me. He was like, yeah, let's modernize it up a bit. And he goes, okay, good name for you. This time, make it big. Make a super, but I don't like a super. No, remind them of before Leatherface. And he goes, Sin. I was like, Sin? I was like, Sheen? You mean like new? Like Atalashi? Like brand new Leatherface? And it just kept bouncing around to Sheen Leather, Sin. Le he likes Sin because, you know, he has Sin Church, you know. <laughs> and, I, and it just kind of bounced around. And then uh, I did the infamous thing with Onita where uh, Onita doing the press conference that we've had leather faces in here before. This guy here, he's like, I knew that. that that's old Tony Myers used to wrestle in Memphis under that, man. <laughs> because enough people out there were, you know, not heckling, but, you know, hey, Tony. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah. knew who was under the man. I mean, you're not going to fool those sophisticated Tokyo, you know, um, Love to stay on the internet wrestling fans. You're not going to confuse any of the people in Tokyo. So, in a roundabout way, I mean, Jesus, debuting there is one of the Uchu Meijin and <laughs> Mummies, Demonoyas, and all the other stuff that IWA Kokosai and Pro Wrestling Crusaders and all of them had hanging around. You know, it's just, I bounced around with a lot of different names and <laughs> kind of settled with this one lately, but I still do like several indies over in Japan where it's just, Tony Myers. Yeah, right. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> they forget the weather part. <laughs> yeah. I, I told you, like, we, we started to have a conversation before we went on the air, and I was like, I'll, I'll just repeat what I said because I, I just find so much of it fascinating, and now I know what to edit out you know, so I don't ramble too much. But I said, uh, wait, all the different gimmicks in Memphis or just Japan? Because Memphis, there was a whole bunch of them, too. <laughs> Exactly. You just you just started listing around. names, and I was like, "I'm just going to let you do it." <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Memphis was super hysteria. Doctor Death, the Wolverine. I mean, <laughs> the Wolverine. That's 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 awesome, man. And th this is why I think this is going to be such an interesting conversation because it's just such a a career that spans so many different you know iterations and things like that, and different places. I just think it's fascinating. So before we we get into any of that, let's rewind back. Like we were saying, we'll go all the way back to when you were first um, exposed to professional wrestling. What were some of the first, you know, faces that stood out to you in pro wrestling? Well, it was always my family because I grew up in Jersey uh, and my parents still live there, my sister, my brother. Um, so getting exposed to WWF and that whole Madison Square Garden network and but the independence would pop up on cable TV and you were like, whoa. And when you start collecting the magazines, you were like, wow, there's wrestling in other places. So, you know, me, I just, I had to find like all the weird, obscure, smaller, bizarre ones. Cause it's like, to these guys, it, it made me wonder so much. Like, do these guys have another job? Like, what is it to these guys? Where did these people come from? And, yeah. and what made them drift to a wrestling school to make them train? So, 
Uh, and then, you know, I started finding area independence around all around Jersey. And that's when I got like really fascinated. Yeah, that's right. So like going to shows and things, how, how old were you when you first saw like your first independent show in person? Well, like they, they had the old WWF like C shows where like the conquistadors would main event against the killer bees yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, they always had like, um, maybe like Adrian Adonis and, um, Don Morocco against like Paul Orndorff and uncle Elmer or something, you know, like that would be like a sea show main event. Yeah. And then from there, um, like I said, I'd find out about independent shows, magazines and stuff. And you could write in back then, or there's sometimes they had a phone number. The Savoldi's ran like two towns over from me and there were other area independents. And one by one, you just start getting hooked because I was maybe, 13, 14 years old, and I started collecting, like, ring jackets. And <laughs> I started walking around seeing if there was anything I could do to be a part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. That's cool. You just wanted to, like, uh, invest your time and immerse yourself in the entire situation. Yeah, because you just got more fast. Like, oh, that guy must be somebody. Wow, Big Sweet William, he just wrestled S.T. Jones. That must, you know, he's like a real wrestler. What's, what's... <laughs> And then years later, his was one of the schools I had uh, attended and went to. Mm -hmm. Lodi, New Jersey, in a racquetball court. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, how do you even so like, how do you even find a school, you know? Well, first, in all the magazines, all I heard about was the Monster Factory. So, mm -hmm. you know, everything was Monster Factory. So it was down in Flemington, New Jersey. I went down there and I saw both uh, the spiders will go on to be the headbangers. Mm -hmm. But uh, Charlie Fulton was the original trainer. When I went up there, I was like 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I just wandered into the place. Like, is there anything I could do to be a part of this? And I just brought out, I'll be the referee. Mm -hmm. And Larry Sharp, you know, back then he's like, I'm, I'm not, he's like, I'm not going to take nobody's money. He's like, you are entirely too small. You know, walking up there, like at five foot two with 95 pounds, you know, coming out of the eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, what could you possibly do here? But you know, eased into it and just, you know, started, somebody let me to start taking bumps and, you know, um, from there, Gino Caruso, uh, to this day is still running ECPW. It was originally Mike Masters, Rocky Jones. He was, uh, he was always in the, in the openers in Mad Madison Square Garden in the late seventies. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike Masters always opened up against like Jose Luis Rivera or, you know, Jose Estrada or, um, he had many matches with like Johnny Rods, but um, I found his school next. And by then, I am Mike Sharps in Brick Township, New Jersey, have been up and going. So mm -hmm. I was like, between all four of them, you know, uh, later on it would just be a lot of that place that's still there now, ECPW, um, which is still there to this day because it was only like five, 10 minutes away mm -hmm. from where I grew up. So, you know, it was just bouncing around all four of them, like just, doing whatever you could to get noticed. There was small Lucha Libre showed, you know, all over the five boroughs in New York City. So, you know, there were things like that. There was so many of those things that went on that were undocumented. Mm -hmm. um, but there was always like tiny independents all over the place. You just, you really had to find them. You really had to talk to people. Just out there networking and stuff. Kind of a lot like you, you know, you've 
you do still, you know, like we with all the various independents in Japan and things like that. It's that you know ongoing network of shows and 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 the yeah, interjoining it's, community. It's all it's all your friends and their friends, and it just doesn't end. You know, if it's out there and you want it and you want a part of it, and you know, I mean, it's it's been some years for me over there. I mean, debuting in '94. It's been such a long time to establish these kind of like friendships with all these people, you know, and it's funny because the same people that, you know, the old expression from Terry Funk, he said, you know, don't do you treat these young boys good because someday they're going to be your boss and that, that has lived to happen. Yeah, exactly. Completely. So, so you mentioned Memphis. Um, how do you start, like as you start to train, you start to take a few bumps and you start to, you know, book indie shows and stuff. How do you get over there? Dennis Carluzzo and Tri-State Wrestling both were bringing in Eddie Gilbert and Jerry Lawler, and I was a huge Memphis fan. Mm -hmm. So I went out of my way to go down there and, you know, start helping Eddie Gilbert with his bags or anything I could. And then I started making Eddie like eight-hour VHS tapes, which this so dates itself because so much has changed. But <laughs> I started making like eight-hour VHS tapes and giving them to Eddie Gilbert, like compilations of him from like Continental, mm -hmm. all over the place. And he was like, my God, you found stuff I didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm an avid tape trader, you know? And yeah. um, so with that and me bothering Jerry Lawler every time Dennis Carloza would book him or uh, Tri-State Wrestling would book Jerry Lawler, uh, you know, Joel Goodhart before Todd Gordon took over ECW and they changed the name and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so I was going up there just to try to referee some of the earliest ECW, you know, before they were extreme and mm -hmm. just trying to get a foot in the door mm -hmm. just by being around, running around back there. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like uh, the, the help of, you know, I, I remember one time Sabu just kind of looking, he's like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. My uncle insists. And I'm like, oh man, I'm just trying to haul the Sheik's bags into the ECW arena, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was um recently watching those Tales from the Territory shows. Have you seen those before? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which are great. I wish All the God stories. That people it. understood if if people only understood the, the mystique of the territories. Yeah. The, oh, those I'm shows sorry, are I great. Just completely no, yeah. no, no, no. It's fine. Um, there's no rules on this show. It's just uh, a couple of boys talking <laughs> shit. Um, but I, I love those shows because it, it it's exactly that, right? It's them just talking about, you know, crazy things that happened and interactions with fans and, you know, fights and, uh, and like, you know, all this stuff because, like, then kayfabe was very real and people took it pretty serious and they were on TV and there was real money and stuff and it was, it was fucking nuts. Yeah, if people only under, understood the mystique of the territories and all the – you know, everything that went on with it, the, the first full-time, you know, Memphis was on its ass and it had a couple bright spots there toward the end. Mm -hmm. You know, the Smoky Mountain feud when they brought in the ECW guys, but the territory was on its tail end ass, but I was still able to eke out a living, you know, mm -hmm. six, seven days of the week. Eventually I got handed the responsibility of holding the ring because Harvey Whippleman, downtown Bruno was starting up as a full-time referee in the WWF. Mm -hmm. And he had shown me how to put up that ring and take it down a billion times. So, mm -hmm. um, but I was still able to eke out a living. And I knew that at the time I was like, I'm just happy for that, you know, yeah. like, uh, 
I have to have a regular job. I don't have to go to work anywhere. Like I wake up and I just each day worry about wrestling stuff, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, that, that all became because, you know, between Eddie Gilbert and Jerry Law, I think they just got sick and tired of me saying, you know, I'm coming down. I remember it's like 1991. Mm-hmm. I, you know, was just getting a license and everything. And I remember making that drive all the way from Jersey to Memphis just to get squashed on TV and drive all the way back up to Jersey. But how far is really that? I'm not good at my, back. my like USA geography. Like how far is that One, drive? 1,080 miles. It always took me 16 hours driving Jeez. to make it the whole way back. One way, you know. Fucking hell. That's insane, dude. That was gas a dollar a gallon. That's not so bad back then. You know? Yeah, yeah. But it's, a, it's a, still a slog, man. Still an absolute slog. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, a, it's a sacrifice and everything else, but at the time, I really hadn't paid all my wrestling tuition mm-hmm. to all these different places. Like, if I went to Mike Sharps, I'd be charged like $8 a workout. Yeah. And like, Build them on, it would be like, all right, anybody new that comes in here, you got to help try to train them. And I wasn't really that trained myself, but we had a guy named Special K, Keith Scherer, who was there, who trained the majority of guys mm-hmm. showing up there looking to, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, the same thing pretty much happened with ECPW. It was like, well, just keep working out with the people and don't worry about the rest of the money that's owed here, mm-hmm. you know, because, um, by then, I was getting booked on some of the smaller indie shows around Jersey and New York and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I mean, every once in a while, those places I just mentioned, all of them, they'd run their own house shows and they'd run once a month right there at the school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, it it's so much has changed since then that it's just it, it's impossible to put a finger on it and say, like, you know, oh, nowadays, it's just so much has changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like. Uh, to me, for anybody out there that, you know, looks at a smaller crowd, and, and I said this to you in a private conversation, it truly goes to show you who has a, like, a real clue as to their business, business behind wrestling. Uh, they look out there and they see a small crowd. And this happens a lot in Japan. They go, oh, well, those boys are doing it for nothing, or they wrestle for very little money. They don't know. There's a lot of times it's a bought show. There's sponsorship behind it. There's all kinds of just and nowadays more and more people are getting uh, smartened up to the word sponsor because it's more out in the open here. You know, you could sponsor a wrestler. I heard to have matches and stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, in Japan, it's just a completely different story. Mm-hmm. I mean, half the time, some of the small groups that run at a magic box pro in their building, you see constantly on weekends and especially throughout the week, you'll see it too. Guys will just do their own produce show, you know, production of, and, and it'll be like one of the heels on the undercard that'll get away and say, Hey, I'm running my house show this week, you know, and the warmer it gets outside, they'll, they'll put it up outdoors. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that, that smaller building that they had moved to as in Hanjo, I mean, it's like less than five miles from the last one was. Mm-hmm. And that was like a humongous arena. But once COVID happened, the place just lost too much money. That's a sponsor. So let's cut back and go to a smaller building. Mm-hmm. And they're running more now in that tiny little building than ever before. Yeah. 
Well, so, sometimes that, that adds to the vibe, right? Like that it becomes like something a little bit more exclusive and a little bit more different and, and then that, that catches on. Yeah, I was just blown away by how many of the guys, the undercar guys, even some of the guys in the main events, mm-hmm. just picked to pick and choose to run randomly in Hanjo at that same building. Yeah. And just run a different company. And mm-hmm. it's weird because you see all different fans. You're like, man, there really is something for everyone out there. Like, yeah. <laughs> like the boys inherently should be able, like forced to run at least one house show by themselves just to see how it feels of like the pressures that are put on a promotion from this, that, and the other and keeping everybody happy and and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Perspective. But you see, yeah, you see a brought to life in Japan and you're just like, wow. Yeah. Like, it seems like everybody owns their own fed. (laughs) And it seems like I hear in America too, but you know, fans have to see about a product and if it's what they like, but these people don't know. The majority of people out there buying tickets, they don't know. Mm-hmm. Or hope for the best that it's not a fad thing, that people aren't just attached to it for the time being and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, that's kind of the nature of society these days, isn't it? Everything comes and goes in waves. And... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and too much so nowadays. Like mm-hmm. It's more of a, it, it's more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's more of a mentality of just being, you know, like TikTok is perfect. After a few seconds, you don't like it, you're on to the next one. Yeah. It's society everywhere is becoming more and more like that. Yeah. Instant gratification, which that's what happens when we evolve. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think um, with wrestling and with, you know, promotions and stuff, the, the ones that you see be the most successful or the – you know, the individuals, like individual promoters and stuff that you see the most successful are the ones that sort of understand that and uh, are good at dodging and weaving and changing it up and doing different things and stuff. And you're like, oh, there's been several promotions, but it's all like the same person. You know what I mean? Like like actually oh, yeah. rolling and adapting with what's going on. I didn't understand when I, when I was breaking into Japan that two of those people, one of them was um, Kenji Takano, the brother of George Takano, mm-hmm. the Cobra. You ever see the Cobra versus the, the no. classic matches that you would see, like light heavyweight mm-hmm. matches, WWF back from the like early eighties. Mm-hmm. The other was, you know, his brother. Um, yeah, his brother George Takano, and George and Kenji started up Pro Wrestling Crusaders, and they had, you know, it caught fire. The whole Uchu Meijin thing, KY Wakamatsu. And his team of guys, alien invaders from outer space. He did the same thing with the strong, uh, with the super strong machine and all them back in like New Japan in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. You remember he had a, yeah, I remember that. He had a bullhorn out there like Jimmy Hart and he was, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it was, it was the whole reinvention of that and pro wrestling crusaders that was like, you know, a major independent with backing and, you know, uh, between them and Go Ryuma. Goryuma had so many. Oh my God. Every time you wrestled for him, he'd have another company. He'd have financing and major backing. <laughs> there were some crowds there. I yeah. mean, but then the, the majority of those crowds there were just really just went there to heckle it. Because they thought <laughs> it was so terrible that the undercard was just atrocious and <laughs> it wasn't enough to get fans to come back. 
<laughs> but it's just a, such a strange story of the whole Uchu Meijing thing catching on and then guys haven't fallen out and Union Pro was supposed to be the one to bring all these different little indies together, but they had a fallen out, so everybody had their own sets of tag teams. <laughs> Absolutely cool. When you met, you mentioned like when you started to break into Japan, like how do you, and we're even talking, you know, we're talking a little bit in the past now, so social media isn't quite what it was today. How does that even begin? Like where we sort of left off in your, your journey, you were driving a truck in Memphis. So how do you, how do you end up starting to make connections and travel to like a completely different country that speaks a completely different language? Yeah, what had happened was um, I wasn't even given the truck by then. By then, Buddy Wayne was still hauling the ring, and mm. this is before Buddy had quit, and then Jerry bought his own ring, and then Jerry just had people like Bruno, and then eventually his cousin Carl Fergie was hauling the ring and mm. pulling the double-duty wrestling as Mr. Wrestling under a mask and, and that kind of thing. Like, um, And so in the midst of this, Eddie Gilbert gets into wing, and opened some eyes and not only that i was still in touch a bit with bill demont mm -hmm. who you know i told you about he was crushed at terminator him and pogo i think were the first tag champions of wing yeah well. so between both of those things and i thought i was getting over to japan because i was good or something really it's <laughs> just like eddie gilbert just i mean who are you gonna have to do a job why not this guy just stick a hood over his head or yeah. whatever and mm -hmm. but um through this, Eddie Gilbert had left wing under bad circumstances, and then it was just kind of like, oh, dead end. But I was still in touch, was still in touch with Bill DeMott and was still in touch with Pogo. Like, that's when I first started to hear about Pogo, started to know about him. And by the time I got to Japan, because they had sent me tickets already, there was some kind of mix up. So by the time I got to Japan, Pogo had felt so bad for me. He told his old buddy, Go Ryuma, hey, this guy from America's coming in here. You could probably have him wrestle under a few masks or something. He was like, you know, he kind of felt partially responsible because he was one of the guys, too, that he was he wanted to get the office position in Japan. So I guess that's when I came up on the radar and mm -hmm. between him and Bill DeMont. And, you know, I get there and Eddie Gilbert's long gone from wing. And I'm just kind of standing there by myself, like, hey, what do I do? <laughs> like, why the fuck am I here? I remember, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I remember, like, all during this, like, you know, I, I took it as I could get it, but I met other guys, and they were guys that were trainees that Goro Surumi brought with them from um, from his IWA Kokasai, because that had branched off. He had split from PWC, even though the Uchu Meijin thing was his idea, you know? It's like, still, they just needed bodies you know, and then um, landing in IWA Kokosai, I was like, holy shit, like this entire crew works two or three different times under different masks. And yeah. they put them in this netting afterwards. And either they would tell you, you're booked on the next one, so bring the stuff back washed. Or they would tell you, leave it here. Yeah. If they, you know, if you weren't booked on anything else. So it was just, you know, through those smaller independents. But, um, and then I met the guys like Survival Tobita and everybody else that was running their own stuff. And I just established a friendship with them, but it was hard for me because if you're going to fly me in, you got to use me as much as you could possibly, you know. Yeah. 
because I was doing the same thing in Memphis, wrestling under different masks, pulling double duty on shows, mm-hmm. a lot of the house shows, everything like that. So it was like, oh, here's a big heavy set American guy. He'll take a bunch of bumps. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's have him do the fourth and semi-main event. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just, we need somebody that's going to be big, take the bumps and <laughs> and be willing to put anybody over mm-hmm. and not argue. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. That's and I mean, I mean, your work. physical size is going to set you apart in that situation, right? Where it's like, you know, everybody's filed into the venue or whatever and you're doing mass wrestling and things like that. And we're like, well, that's the body type we need. There we go. He'll do it. That's fine. Yeah, not only that, I didn't realize at the time too, it was costing them less in taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of paying two, two, three different people or whatever, especially a foreigner that you got and you'd always bump into other foreigners there and you're like, this is just, you know, um, you know, take like the, the late go Ryuma. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryuma go would bring in like the, all the guys from Portland and everything like that, but they were all like bodybuilders and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it looked that much more impressive when he was, it, it was even in like Foley's book when he says, you know, it was, um, go Ryuma wrestling against all these Americans dressed up as like invading outer space aliens and stuff. <laughs> really? No, it was Hatakana, Goro Surumi, me. It was, um, Yaguchi at one point, I guess he saw the blonde hair and figured that he was American. I don't know, but, <laughs> um, it was just such a weird journey. Um, it was a journey, like my foot in the door in Japan, starting out like that. And then just being kind of like the utility guy and, Pogo, uh, at least one time, had told me, I'm going to get my own Fed one day. And that's in 2000, he bought out the rights to the old wing promotion. And almost right away, I was when I was with Pogo, you know, he put up posters, run around, um, having to spell things out to him in English and everything because his English isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And people were sending him stuff to be signed, like to be shipped back to Puerto Rico, all over the world. Mm-hmm. I, I've met some real people to this day that are like my better friends. I met them while working in Pogo's office because, you know, we had to send him a t-shirt to, you know, the UK or whatever. So yeah. really, you know, yeah, he rested so many places all over this world that, you know, stuff was always coming in for him to sign or, mm-hmm. you know, people wanting to buy his DVDs or any way they could support him and see what his product was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, but that wasn't until 2000. So there was that six years that went on and on with the independence in in Japan and, you know, just trying to get a foot in the door. And were you staying then, there for long periods of time then? Like when you were first brought in, uh, and you first step off the plane, how long had they asked you to come for? Like, where were you saying what was happening? It had only been like a week, a week and a half. And I didn't realize this. This was everybody went out and got their own indie because of the success of Onita and FMW. Mm-hmm. So everybody was trying to be the next Onita. Yeah. And in the midst of this, when they would bring in Goro Surumi as a guest to one of his shows and have Goro Surumi wrestle one of his guys and bring along a couple of his guys, that's how I crossed paths with Onita. And that was like mid 90s. And I asked him, and he was like, I don't even remember that. And I'm like, <laughs> how could you? How could you? It was the mid nineties. I mean, you've seen it. You've seen the Onita stuff. And, yeah. But he saw it throughout the years, my loyalty to Pogo. And 
when Pogo passed, I think that was the final straw for Onita, where he's like, come on, you're with us now. Yeah. And he was already bringing me around to a bunch of stuff. Because, like, um, at one point when Pogo had got really sick, you know, Onita was like, uh, or Pogo had told me, whatever you do, I don't mind how much, you know, that you're going on the road with him, whatever. He's like, but your number one priority is WWS and Wing World, you know, World Wing Spirit. Yeah. And I was like, amen. I hear you. Mm-hmm. I would tell that to Anita and he would kind of half roll his eyes. He's like, all right, all right. <laughs> well, let, let's, um, let's talk a little bit more about Pogo and, and your friendship. So you, you start in Japan and it's just Indies and stuff. How do you go? And you were saying he felt a little bit bad. He was trying to get you onto stuff. How did that friendship develop? Cause like you said, his English wasn't, you know, super good at the start and stuff. So you guys who essentially was, speak different languages, like <laughs> how are you hanging out? His you know? English, mm-hmm. his English was really good actually oh, because he he spent all that time working for the Crockett's and, uh, and out in Calgary uh, for Stu Hart and you know um, the Funks down in Amarillo. So English had been burned into him by then. Oh, okay. And and two, it was also as the years went on. Uh, like when um, Tadashi Tanaka found his ex, you know, that's like the mother of his kid from America. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she would talk with him in his English. When I would go periods without speaking English to him, his English would start slipping like real bad. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we would do exercises where I would have to speak to him in Japanese and he'd have to respond in English. Mm-hmm. We just work on each other's Trying languages. Each other. and, yep. mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. He would bust ball. He was a ball buster, you know, <laughs> but um, the la- I want to say the last three or four years of his life mainly is when I started moving in with him and, and just started, you know, cleaning up the place. It was hard for him to get up and down and do things. And then he had the surgeries and everything. So, you know, the last three, four years of his life is when we got really tight. Yeah. And, um, me, uh, Takase, his ring announcer, Ramen Man was like one of his best buddies you know, he financed so much of WWS because Bogo was running all kinds of house shows that never, you know, when you look at match results, some of them aren't even there. Yeah. But he was running at least with WWS. He was running at least three, four times a month, at least. Yeah. Well. He was running his no ring shows, which could be in anything from a gentleman's club or like an office building. Those are just randomly. And then Miss Mongol was running a CTE form. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention the boys would find WWS, you know, places, locations, um, groups that wanted to raise money, fundraisers, all kinds of things. So mm-hmm. WWS constantly stayed busy. And then he would build to like his three or four. He had at least four major, major shows in Isasaki City each year. Mm-hmm. And he would go to Kumagaya and Gunma. Uh, he would go to Kumagaya and Kagahara, which were kind of close to each other. Mm-hmm. He would go to those like at least twice a year. And man, he would draw a couple thousand people. Wow. You know, you see the old DVDs and you're like, for an indie to do 2,000 people <laughs> on a random Sunday is just. And I've, I've seen him crack 2,000 people without Onita on the card. Yeah, wow. They wow. they did the math one time. They were looking at each other. They realized they could do a quarter million dollars on any weekend, just wrestling each other and just random matches. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> that, 
that's how you know you're, you're onto something, okay? Between the merch, between sponsors, between this, between that, between the video itself or DVD put out or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that money piles up fast. Mm-hmm. And they could, you know, make all kinds of crazy money. Mm-hmm. The, the money Onita would make in merchandise alone at Pogo shows was like ridiculous. Yeah. And Pogo being a heel for his own fed, mm-hmm. the money he would do in merch, the DVDs that they would sell and the t-shirts and everything was like, you would stand back and go, holy mackerel. Like just pumping. He, he would tell, he would tell me once in a while, he'd be like, Oh, I barely broke even on that show. And I would do the math on my own head and be like, no way. <laughs> it's working. Yeah. I was like, unless you're paying these guys $500 a piece, mm-hmm. no way. Yeah. If you drew 80 people, you're charging $75 for a seat. Mm-hmm. And there is no general admission on some of the shows that he did. Mm-hmm. So on some of it, you'd be like, where's this money coming from? Or you never do. But, you know, it could be from anything, too. Not not anything that's bad or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, well, there's there's money for for it to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, going back into itself. When it started up, like you said, when he first bought Wing, um, did he, he like immediately had his own vision for it, right? Like the way I understand it, you know, I'm not, overly familiar with like the real old tapes and stuff like that. But, but the vibe and, uh, you know, bringing in the horror characters and, and all that stuff, that was all his sort of vision for the promotion, wasn't it? Yeah, because he wanted the book anyway. He wanted some of the ownership of wing mm-hmm. when he was a top heel before. Mm-hmm. Cause he saw, you know, my ideas are working here, here. And, you know, the rest of it's just a struggle because I got all these office people in my way that won't let me do it the way I want to do it. Sure. And he was like, if we just turn loose this, that, and the other. And it's so funny because in the following years, all of his ideas, all of his ideas with Matsunaga, with Kanemura, would draw like a couple thousand people when they built it up. Mm-hmm. They do like 1,500 people in Isasaki City. And that's charging ridiculous money. General admission on some of those shows was at least like $75 for a ticket. Yeah, Chase. And so, yeah, and and so he drew money with him. He drew money with Canamara. He constantly drew money with Onita on top mm-hmm. in eight mans, you know, six mans, whatever. But uh, he just wanted Wing to continue and say, hey, this would have been what Wing is like if we had the financing. And that's where, you know, Ramen Man was one of his best buddies. Ramen Man was coming to to the ring with Pogo all the way, way back in the day when Wing was running. You see Ramen Man as one of the one of the young boys behind them coming to yeah, the ring right. with him. Just there the whole time. Pogo is just like Onita. He always had to have like an army. He always had to have a bunch of guys with him. Entourage. He always had to have like Yeah. He always had to have like a whole flock with him. Wherever he goes, there's like a whole entire and that, that's the way it is to this day with Onita. Yeah. There's been many times where he's like, you know, oh, hey, we'll square up on money later. Like when he says that, I know I'm good. Cool. I'm getting paid for that. Uh-huh. Whatever it is, wherever you're going, wherever you're wrestling, um, 
whether you're on the set for a commercial with him, whatever, mm-hmm. you're being taken care of. Yeah. He's getting a lump sum of money and he's taking care of you out of that. Yeah. We we that's, talk, that's we talked about this before, like the the loyalty, you know, within Japanese wrestling and like, you know, between you and Pogo, between you and Onita and stuff. You you said it's still really real there. Like wrestling can be a pretty carny place, but with those guys, it's like once you're there and there's like a trust between you, that's like a very real thing, right? Yeah, I mean, even temporarily when you fall out with them, over something or something petty. It's not one of those like falling out. It's like, I'm not speaking to you again. Yeah. One, one hand always wash the other, you know, he, they, they had to have somebody else to do the other stuff around them because they didn't speak English and mm-hmm. they would come up with English titles to shows and then come up to me and be like, is this all right? Or they would come out with like a line of DVDs and be like, we need you to do English commentary on these. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there was always something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, FMWE now, you know, Onita's latest FMW doesn't even have like an office and an office staff. Your office, you know that your office for the company, you know by your responsibilities what you have to do. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have like an office office. You yeah, know? yeah. Ogle had that. Mm-hmm. Magic Box Pro still has that. Mm-hmm. It's when, when Pogo passed, I mean, when... WWS just, it slid on down because with FMWE coming back and especially Magicbox Pro being so close to WWS, it was only 45 minutes. And then those two had fallen out. And it was like WWS in the office was saying, if you work for Magicbox Pro, and I was like, listen, um, it doesn't matter because I'm with WWS no matter what. Many years I put in, uh, I held their heavyweight title with no mass, no nothing. Mm-hmm. And like 2016, you know, it's like, so there's always a piece of me there no matter what. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's like, well, you must be talking to those other people because I freelance. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. But it's the guys like um, Naoshisano and guys like Boomba who are really, st- especially Boomba. He put up all kinds of posters. He did all kinds of work for Pogo's office. So, you know, he's like, you're not going to tell me as a freelancer to go here, go there. And he's like, he's got a regular job where he makes a ton of money. And he still does the professional boxing. So it's like, you're not going to tell a guy like that where to go. You're not going to tell Miss Mongol, which was one of the things where WWS started going downhill was... Miss Mongol ran their catfight shows. They would always have like two or three professional matches, even though they were conducted on mats. They would always have like Pogo in a match or Takase and me under different mats against each other. Like it would always have something there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I guess they gave her an ultimatum. And she's like, that's fine. I'll take my CTE. I'll take my catfight and fed with me. Because, you know, she was using WWS guys. So it's like, you can't keep segregating and expecting, you know, more or newer fans to be reached out in the base. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're better off. You had no other building to run during the pandemic. So they were doing all the WWS stuff in Magic Box Pro's old building where it took, you're talking millions of dollars for a state of the line, you know, facility. 
But what had happened was with COVID and everything, it all crashed down at once. And then the president of the company too, he'd been fighting stomach cancer the last like six years, five, six years. Horrible. Uh, yeah. So it's just, you know, you hate to see falling outs and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but you know, being a freelancer, there's it, even if you, or even if WWS did not book me, I'd still be there with O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, talk to say to this day is still one of my best buddies. I mean, he's the owner, operator and ace, you know I mean? Yeah. And then when he took over, when he bought out the half from ramen man of WWS of the new wing, mm-hmm. it was just like your top baby face here in all the main events and you're still the champion when you got the belt from me. It's like, I was, I was going to say, I, I think you had mentioned before, like the, the current owner, you know, like you said, Ace and champion, he, he won the title from you, right? Like from during yeah. your run. And then he's held it ever since. Like it's been, been years. Yeah, it's been six, seven years. <laughs> seven and years. What a run. I think, I think one time, one time he dropped it to Toru, um, Magnitude Kashiwana, he yeah. dropped it to him for like for like a few months or whatever, but he went right back to being champion. And everybody's like, oh, like <laughs> why why not make the title mean even more by putting it on one of the other guys? This way, yeah, your main event will be Onita and a death match and everybody beating each other up and yeah. barbed wire and you know, Shimada will always be in the main events too, because you know, he was great pogo. Bogo's right hand man, and it's his ring. So, on top of everything else, it's just like, does it really have to be all this complication? Does it really have to be this much of a mess? Yeah. yeah. Like, can't it be just like, you you go your way, I go mine? Mm-hmm. Like, instead of forbidding somebody to do this, yeah. Telling someone you can't, you can't be on that, you can't be booked by them if you're booked by us. Yeah. You're an independent, you're a freelancer. Yeah. I don't once have a in a contract. While, like, <laughs> yeah, once in a while you'll find that in Tokyo, and it's just like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's the exact same concept, the exact same promotion, pretty much, mm-hmm. and the exact same, you know, chains for for ropes on the ring, submission wrestling, and it's like it, it's in the same building. Yeah. So I don't care that you two had a falling out. Like I'll wrestle for him. Like I'll wrestle for you. Yeah. If you don't want to use me because um, because he's got me booked, okay, I'll, I'll just find work elsewhere. <laughs> like yeah, it yeah. doesn't. <clears throat> There's a number one place. Now she's Sano's bar, Stanley Club. Mm-hmm. All night long, you see a never-ending loop of promoters wrestlers everybody coming in there dropping off their tickets posters tickets to be sold at his place you know like it's a never-ending revolving door so that's why i always go to that bar you know it's like if i have an off day here an off day there i'll run into somebody and be like hey you run on this date yeah like oh wow you busy what do you want me to do man you want me to bring you know and then we start talking money or whatever and yeah I'm like, sit down, you know, I have a few beers. What's a couple beers if I could get a few hundred dollars a night to wrestle for you? Yeah. It's like, we're enjoying our beers. We still love wrestling. And 
I'm going to go to work for you. I'm going to give you a hand wherever you fucking need it. I'm going to, I'll do podcasts over there. I'll do radio, whatever you want me to do to help push the product and let's get some people out there, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. It's knowing, knowing the ropes, you know? Um, let's, uh, let's quickly, um, rewind back to your wing title run, just cause I thought that was interesting because you were obviously brought in and, you know, you were doing like, like we said, the leather face stuff and the horror characters and all and different masks. Tell me about the, the thought behind when they demasked you and, and you went on that title run, like as, you know, Tony Myers, I've seen pictures of you, you know, in the suit with the belt and stuff like that. That was obviously like, you know, like a corporate, you know, Tony Myers kind of thing. Tell, tell me the, about the entire The funniest story. part about that is if yeah. you look, if you look at the shoes I'm wearing, I'm wearing boots. I'm wearing the weather face <laughs> boots. So not too many people caught on to that. Yeah. And, and other people are like, you're wearing boots with a suit? And it's like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. Leatherface wears a suit anyway, including a jacket and tie to the ring. Same stuff. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't get it. You know, it's like, but um, we went to do all that. There's, you know, several matches I had like in 2014 where he's just like Tony Myers in this uh -huh. six man, and and um, Jason was with Sadist, who was with Kenji, and they they all had like the horror masks and everything. Mm -hmm. So it was like a new way to go for me. And then he put me with them and he was like, well, it doesn't matter because you have the crazy hair and you're, you're always doing like the barking, like Bruiser Brody, like you're just kicking people and beating them up and hurting them. So, um, his idea was to show mostly to the boys that, you know, when you, when you drop all the gimmick and everything, it's like, well, it's Tony Myers anyway. So. So it was like for all the masks, for all the different identities, for all the every everything. When he said you're going to be the helm of the ship and you're going to be our heavyweight champion, mm -hmm. and then even even at one point, I have old posters of it. He even sent me out there to the Philippines, and, and it was just like really? what <laughs> you know. Um, for a while there, I had a bunch of pictures of um, going into Taipei. It was just like, are these people even, and they were all like shoot wrestlers. Yeah. Pogo's like, it doesn't matter. Just get them to get enough pictures of you grappling with somebody. And I'm like, it's going to beat me for the belt. He's like, no, no, it's all exhibition stuff. Uh -huh. I'm like, oh, thank God. But then it got like ruling too, because he would bring in like kickboxers and jujitsu guys. Yeah. <laughs> didn't know anything at all about working. And I'm like, how the hell do you want me to survive this? And he's like, oh, put up your hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> or the one, the one, the one time he booked me of all people, and he uses Yoshiaki Fujiwara. He uses him like every you. That guy has been in death matches with me. Yeah. Like he's just dressed up in like regular like street clothing, but you're looking at him and you're like, Yoshiaki Fujiwara for Christ's sake. He, he trained Bad News Brown. You know, he like, it, it's, what more can you possibly say about the guy? Yeah. A few months ago, he was on New Japan and like slapped the shit out of Tetsuyo Naito. So it's like, <laughs> he's still old and feared. Yeah. And he's like early 70s now. Mm -hmm. They would do that with Grand Hamada. Grand Hamada would be in like six man death matches. And you're like, it's kind of weird. But it was the whole weird novelty of like Onita 
teaming up with Fujiwara. Whoever thought that would happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, yeah, his idea was when you when you get rid of all the gimmicks and everything else, he's like, the guy is Tony Myers anyway. Yeah. He's a good so, wrestler. There's a reason why he's here. Like, I trust him to was, say this through. There was, too, the whole thing where Pogo's like, we have no foreigners booked. He was like, even the people, he's like, even you as a foreigner, what are, what are we doing with you under a mask? Yep. doesn't matter. He's like, it'll give it more of an international presence. He said, besides, this is at the time where I moved in with him to, like, help him because I got tired of, like, getting on the train from Wino, going three hours all the way to Gunma. Mm-hmm. It's Sasaki City where he lived. Yeah. So eventually I just started spending the night. And then I was like, well, let me get go get all my shit from the hotel. And because I didn't want the hotel to cost him a fortune or he just put me up in Winnow. Yeah. And I've been told him to save him money. I was like, I'll stay in a capsule. And he goes, now, if anybody sees you on the street and they've seen occupation of the Indies or any of the coverage, they know you're the heavyweight champion. And he's like, it's too low rent. And then eventually he needed enough help getting around to where, you know, I just moved in with him. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, yeah. So then, um, in 2000, I want to say 14 or 2015, I told him, I said, Hey man, you know, I still got the old Southern heavyweight title. He's like the belt, like a belt itself. And I go, yeah. And he goes, cause we would always do video chats. So, um, when I got back to the States, he's like, let me see that belt you were telling me about. Mm-hmm. I held it up and he was like, do you think it was, it was his idea. And he goes, do you think you could bring that in? The, the, one of the first things he said was, do you own this belt or do you owe people money? <laughs> he's like, I'm not taking this belt. If you owe anybody, I was like, man, I, when have you ever heard, seen or heard about me owing anybody in money? I don't know anybody shit, you know? <laughs> so I was, I didn't know if I could curse on you or not, but yeah, sorry you definitely that. fucking can. <laughs> All right, fuck it then. Uh, I'll never forget the one time my face was so sore, and he had this guy who was one of Boomba's friends, and it was a professional boxer, so I was going to have to take a couple shots, and I knew it. And I was like, otherwise, this match is going to suck anyway if it's just me dragging him down to the mat and trying to tie him up, you know? So uh, I remember getting off the train, and people never do this in Japan. For some reason, I was so happy. I had the belt in my bag. All my gear was left at Pogo's because I didn't have to go back and for another couple days. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, wow, and just running around on the train with the belt, like, fuck yeah, I'm still champion. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then it got to the point where he was like, all right, now that has like that international presence, he's like, because uh stateside i was doing this whole thing with a guy that i knew for about 20 years back in 1999 when i had the same belt Mm -hmm. he ran his own like independent up in connecticut so we had a whole program for that old southern heavyweight title from that i brought with me from memphis to there and he was really getting on to me about i'm the real connecticut heavyweight champion i never lost that belt you know because I was able to take like paper and cover over just some of the lettering and, and still a real cool belt that was designed after the old intercontinental title. Yeah. If you've ever heard of David Milliken, it was David Milliken and a guy who has recently passed named Don Kelly, um, Kelly Mayfield, who was Donnie Denton, David Webb, David Denton's younger brother on independence all around Memphis. 
that was one of the first belts they ever made on a lathe. And look at where David Milliken is now. <laughs> so, um, and telling me who he's going to drop the belt to, I'm like, this is perfect because since 2000, since you started up WWS, me and Takase, I remember on one show, I'm not kidding. I just went into the ring and they're like X and I'm like, all right, I'm X. I was in all black and everything. And then Takate comes out and they go, El Diablo Dos. And I was like, El Diablo Dos. You're not even wearing anything red. How the hell are you with Diablo? <laughs> um, and then I remember um, he came out of sunshine and he was wearing a yellow mask. And then I wrestled him as Tony Myers. And then he wrestles me as Takase. And I come back out and I had the original, like, one of the original Uchu Meijin things. So I just wore the hockey mask and my regular singlet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I climb in the ring and they're like, El Loco Brace. I'm like, El Loco, the third El Loco. Where's the first two? Like, where do you come up with this? Like, they just make it up on the spot. Like, Pogo would just be like, just, you know, speak some Spanish. Easy for him to do. He lived in Puerto Rico for five years. <laughs> he lived in America for like over 10. Yeah, well. <laughs> America, you know, and North America, you might as well say. Yeah. Because he did wrestle for Al Tomko in, in uh, Vancouver. Mm -hmm. he, he wrestled everywhere. <laughs> Stu Hart, Calgary. Yeah, so... Storied career, it, right? From Pogo. <laughs> oh man, what, what a run! Yeah, main event against Dick the Bruiser, Indianapolis. So he was on. If you notice, Florida, he was on top with Dusty Rhodes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it just it didn't end. Mm -hmm. It's like I, I was reading a Terry Funk obituary from a couple weeks ago, and it mentioned that Terry Funk lost the Texas Brass Knucks title to Pogo, mm -hmm. and then um. It was like later on, you know, the, the chain, the lineage of the belt. And like a few years later, it was like he did the same thing with Onita. <laughs> <laughs> Such old school hustle. <laughs> yeah, it was like, um, it would be cool on a personal note to go like, you go out into Pogo's backyard. And he was like, you know that case back there? Hard plastic case. I'm like, I'm going to guess who gave you that. And he goes, yeah, who? I go, Terry Funk gave that to me. He's like, how you know? I was like, you told me like four times already. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard all the stories. <laughs> that and when just randomly you would hear Pogo laughing and carrying on and you'd walk into the room and you'd just hear the unmistakable voice. Whoa, are you still crazy, you old bastard? What the hell are you still wrestling for? You know, Pogo would laugh. He'd be like, what about the time? Your friend, he tried to fix me up. Oh, that girl, ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Just all that old war stories. Well, while we talk about crazy stories, you said that when you were in the office, they'd, you know, they'd have show ideas and, and posters and stuff like that, and they'd do them in English and bring them to you to, you know, make sure they're okay. Were there any that stand out to you that were just absolutely crazy and any that you just let go through because you thought it would be funny to see it? Yeah. <laughs> one time, um, this has happened so many times with like Onita with like fight of the killer crazy death match king. You're like, that doesn't even make any sense. 
What are you trying to do? <laughs> Pogo would come up with like fight of the fight of the death match century. <laughs> You'll I'm just gonna let it ride. <laughs> yeah, he would just mess up all the I mean the nouns would go where the verbs are supposed to go and the everything was of the and I'm like, it doesn't have to be anything of the I'm like oh, what, what is what is this of the you try to put of them in front of everything. Like it, it, it only works in some, you know, or he, he, you know, he would, he would, you know, they, they would try to always work the word hell into it. <laughs> hell death match, hell this, hell that, hell explosions. Everything was hell. And it's like, you got to save that word for when it's going to mean something big. Yeah, you guys are just naming everything ring of hell. <laughs> Hell of the ring. <laughs> it's like hell is supposed to be like the worst thing ever and you guys use it on a Wednesday night in this bar. <laughs> or they're like, kill or die death match. You're like, what? Kill or... And then he, he, Pogo would try it again and be like, is it killer of the death match? And I'm like, oh, my God. Onita would do the same thing, but, you know, Pogo, you could more or less tease. Onita would just get frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just going to be this. <laughs> Frustrating Onita was also funny at times too. Mm -hmm. But uh, other times when he would just start start trying to sing a song, but he didn't know any of the words to it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're trying to say when you get caught between the moon and New York City. He's like, yes. <laughs> it's like, I knew that. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, like, um, so many things that you, you're just around the office and you're like, God, they're combining ideas that they found in Mexico and Puerto Rico mm -hmm. and the old territories in the States to make different angles out of other things. Yeah. Other times, like, uh, some of the death matches that Pogo would run by me and I'd be like, wait a minute, that's not even a death match guy. And he'd be like, that's why it would be so unique. He was like, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know what it's going to take to like get Suwana away from all Japan. And I don't think he's going to go for a death match. <laughs> and a lot of the times too, um, or just to make guys feel a comfort or guys make guys feel at home. And then they would, their eyes would open very big because they're like, Oh, so this is my opponent tomorrow. And I was just like, Pogo just wanted to make sure you had some kind of camaraderie. And at the same time, he was like cooking a meal for them and inviting them over, uh -huh. you know what I mean? And putting them up in a hotel or whatever. But the both of them would always say the same thing too. Sometimes I think they're the same kind of person, you know, mm -hmm. all the ideas that they would come up with were taken from like stuff they had seen in Puerto Rico, Mexico, uh, United States, territory wrestling. But Onita would always try to think outside of the box, whereas Pogo would just be like, no, this is more like wing style, what wing would have done. Mm -hmm. If we have a scaffold here, or if we have like barrels that are full of fire, he's like, that's what wing would have done. Mm -hmm. You know, he still tried to follow more of a wing, like decorum. Mm -hmm. The only place where he would lose it is, you know, Ibaragi would always come around, Mickey mm -hmm. Ibaragi. And I love Ibaragi so much to this day, even though so many people can't stand the guy or, other wrestlers would come up to you and be like, stay away from that guy. And I'd be like, no, he's my friend. Like, yeah. I like him. Mm -hmm. I was like, Pogo still, you know, love that guy. But, uh, other times it would be kind of like frustrating 
because you'd be like, you don't, you know, you're going to miss out on a lot of stuff because this guy knows how to hustle and sell tickets, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was just like, uh, I know Nita has a natural hatred for him, mm-hmm. but I'm like, it's selling the company short because every time Pogo would book Onita, Ibaragi wasn't anywhere around. He was nowhere to be found. Yeah. He didn't want to be around him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just have never got on. Yeah. So it sells everything short. Yeah, yeah. So, How, how's it been, um, like since the I guess the the relaunch of as, as FMWE when that was all announced and then everything that's played out? How's it, uh, you know, been as far as crowd response and, and things within Japan? Like, was the fan base really excited to see that all happening? There's less touring and there's more like you know freelance and indie work like wherever Pogo or Ronita goes. And um, it's not nearly what, like, you know, they just, they've run at the same venue, mm-hmm. like once every two or three months. And then they'll splinter off and they'll find like other work or something else with FMWE, like a certain house show or out here on the naval base or, you know, things like that. And, you know, Onita also has Fire Pro. Yeah. So, and he has like, or, um, the other the other Onita pro that he has is like if he finds somebody that wants to run a house show with him with his crew of guys and that kind of thing and not do it under the FMWE banner sure because they themselves are producing the show yeah so you know you, you always have things like that yeah the boys are you know yeah where the where the boys themselves are the ones that are you know financing it or have found the money guy and. Mm-hmm. And they know that without Onita or without a major name, it's not going to go off. Yeah. Especially being that he has trademarked the deathmatch, the exploding deathmatch thing. So, yeah. I mean, it was like every time DDT wanted to use it, they would have to go to get a hold of him and use him. Yeah, right. And they would have to, yeah, they would have to bring in his guys and everything. So, so, so the I, the idea of like and the gimmick of it all and stuff of exploding deathmatch, that's like copyrighted to him essentially like nobody else can use yeah. it exclusively to him yeah wow. which is why smart you wind up with the weird variations of explosion of the king death match and you're like ah i gotta fix that too <sighs> so you know they, they would always run stuff by me so it doesn't go more than a day or two that i usually hear from them and mm-hmm. you know um and that kind of thing um I hate to almost think that like WWS at this point is floating and, and is surviving in a big way because they've had, they still continue to have big crowds with Onita. Yeah. You know, but it's like, what happens, you know, Pogo would do some of his house shows would do perfectly well and good without Onita. Uh-huh. Will WWS ever reach that level again? Hmm. You know, I truly in the bottom of my heart, I hope that it would because a lot of us, like the time they bought the wrong barbed wire and they came up with the ones that have like an inch Ooh. of the barbs sticking off of it. Jesus. And that thing, and it was all brand new. Yeah. You know, it was a brand new spool. So that thing cut up my fingers and cut up my back and hands and everywhere just so bad. It was, it was absolutely brutal. And I remember the one time um, I was going into the one house show with me and Taka saying, this is us on top for his belt. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget. They're playing like the mortuary music. 
they're playing like you know the creepy you know uh death music and you know you're you're hearing taps and they're playing it over this old like this old like really like spooky just creepy friggin' music uh, sounded like you're attending someone's funeral <laughs> and i remember seeing them roll that thing out and i remember asking ramen man i go is that that spool with that long stuff and he goes yep and i was like oh shit and then like because i had done so many death matches and everything with takase over the years and in wws you never even check the steps anymore you yeah. just go eh, whatever it's whatever whatever they got me booked in mm-hmm. i'll find a way out of it but this was the one time <laughs> going into it i was like oh shit they put it on two sides of the ring and you're like, which is cool because you get to do high spots around it. But still, it's just like, ah, shit. All right, well. And I can think of three things off of a reversal to do into the barbed wire because I just, you stick. It's my real hair yeah. to the leather face, man. Yeah. So that hair, that just reaches out and grabs your hair. And you can just, you know, you can hear, even when you grab your hair and know that it's going to rip out, yeah. you just hear the, <laughs> oh, oh, man. That's horrible. That's horrible. Did you um? What does they say? It's good for the business. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's still going to be rough as fuck. You were um, you've been in a few of the exploding matches, haven't you? Too many. Um, <laughs> there is a compilation floating around on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I didn't put up the last compilation because I, I didn't put up the one from earlier this year. In fact, you said that uh, this is just the audio. That we're doing correct. Yeah, I can take. Uh, yeah, I can take that match that we did for FMWE. Mm-hmm. Me, Super Beast, Boogeyman, who is also my doppelganger. He's the Japanese Leatherface. Mm-hmm. Um, he's often my partner. I feud with him a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, the match that we did with that Chitan thing and Onita and Yaguchi and uh, Naoshi Sano. I could take that and put this audio over that so you can see that. I mean, th- those are just. Yeah, that'd be fun. As we start to wrap up, let, let's quickly talk about your upcoming trip because you're about to head back to Japan for an open-ended amount of time. What, what do you have on the books? Like, is this kind of thing where you've got X amount of shows lined up or is it just like you're coming in and let, let's hit the ground running and see what happens? Well, right away, right off the top, um, every year I go to Valor which at first I was going there right around Thanksgiving night and a friend of mine brought me there mm-hmm. and lo and behold, right after COVID, they were like, Hey, you know, we could use a draw. Cause they used to see me out in the crowd raving and just dancing and everything in the club. Mm-hmm. So they said, what would it take for you? And of course, first things first, um, six, six, six always does our Halloween show. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, as soon as I get off the plane, there's a show for Eagle Pro. Um, right after that, Noshisano and Museum Zoo is running a as house show. Like he's Booker and the guy that runs in Museum Zoo. Uh, the place only seats like 70 people at the most, mm-hmm. but they they pack it out. It's the ring, it's on three sides of the the one, you know, of the place. Mm-hmm. So um it's like right out right out the shoot, there's an in, all, all independence. Like Eagle Pro, like Museum Zoo, uh, Pure J Dojo, they record content there. So there's all that stuff leading up to, 
I go out to the highest bidder on on Halloween night. I hit up several of the clubs and go, hey, if you you know, I'm up for bidding as far as the DJ thing goes. What kind of money can you offer? Mm-hmm. And right after that is all Magic Bike. The majority of my stretch here is Magic Box Pro mm-hmm. and Hondo, mm-hmm. um, where training occurs at least two, three days a week. It's training throughout the week, and there's also house shows from all the guys on the roster basically mm-hmm. even magic killers one and two they run house shows so it's like there's all that stretch of stuff in there and once you're up in gunma um and my buddy shimada runs you know he's always holding his ring somewhere so that's the best guy to get a hold of yeah you know because i mean you could conceivably work every single night of the week in japan that's crazy so but the majority of the work that I have to do is with Magic Box Pro. Mm-hmm. WWF, you know, he's contacted me about several dates. And, of course, Onita. And that's more than enough to keep you busy. Mm-hmm. And I told them, I said, I'm just going to keep going until I get a hold of you and say, no more bookings after this date. Because yeah. just like last time I was there, I was like, I'm tired. I'm cold. I'm overeating, but I'm losing weight. I'm like, I just... I'm tired. My body's just beat up. Yeah. And it was at that point. Yeah. It was at that point that I was like four or five months in last year. And I'm like, I just want to go home. Yeah. Like, exactly. You reached the end. I'm burned out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm burned out. I'm beat up. I'm not just going to phone it in and take somebody's money. Like, yeah. If there's nothing left, if there's nothing left, you know it. You know, if there's nothing, if there's nothing there. You're not feeling it. Don't just show up and take somebody's money. Yeah. That's yeah. just, you know, that's screwed up. Like, go in there and give them all you got. These people are paying you. Yeah. They're not paying you 40 bucks. They're not They're not giving you the old Memphis 40. They're not just giving you 100 bucks. Get off your ass and work for it. Like, you know, these people flew you here. Yeah. They didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. That's exactly all the stuff right. that comes with it. Mm-hmm. They'll put you up in hotel rooms, introduce you to friends and friends are here can you sign a couple of these and then you sign a couple of them they have another envelope ready for you before you're you know when you're done eating so you're just like continue to give you know just this is this is all that it amounts to this is what you came here to do yeah so if it means going to animal hamaguchi's gym for three hours a day you know then do your lightweight you know do your do your free weights do your amateur grappling, do your stretching, and do your exercise bike for those three hours. Like mm-hmm. you are here to be primed and, and get ready for because it's just it's so funny. Like Yaguchi, uh Ichiro Yaguchi is another guy whose company I work for. Um, he started up his own like Chikara type of league mm-hmm. where you're under two, three different masks a night. Mm-hmm. And he's also still running a Soxa Pro, which is like most of us like me Ricky Fuji guys like that dressing up as like different animals and stuff like that <laughs> um, so fun. he reprises my old yeah he reprises my old role from SPWF mm-hmm. which is Yoshiaki Yatsu who he too he's running an Atami still he's running at least like twice a month so I go all the way out there which is like a six hour train ride mm-hmm. it was so cool because I took the bullet train back last time love it yeah. And so I was like, 
back to Tokyo. Um, Big Bear Produce, they run at least twice a month. So there's all kinds of dates woven in and out of there with them. There's just, there's plethoras of indies. Tobita is still trying to get his thing up and going. There's um, all the shows from um, Kitiano runs his own independent right there in Totokan Museum. So, uh, God, I can go on and on and on with all the different indie work out there. Fighting Ultimate Crazy Kings, fuck, <laughs> is the name of the company. <laughs> That's uh, a sick name. <laughs> they continue to run semi-regularly at least once a month. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of those dates, you know, in and out. The tricky thing is, is telling people, hey, before you commit, I got somebody else that wanted me on this date. Uh, I don't know if they penciled me in, but if it's not etched in stone, you know, first mm-hmm. thing I, I look at an independent and go, what kind of money are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, if it's something that's not within reason, they know I'm not leaving the house for, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going anything below a brother price. Like, I'll be <laughs> your brother price because I know I'm going to sell. I just got in stickers, buttons, keychains, magnets. I just got in tons of that stuff. So there's enough enough to go around, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think um it it's really cool because you know a lot of people are like, yeah, it's my my goal to go to Japan or whatever to work in Japan to to do that kind of thing. And you know they they've usually got you know certain bigger companies in mind. But I I feel like this really highlights the ability to network and to work hard and build a resume of, you know, goodwill that can then see you into a network of wrestling that runs through all of Japan. You know, that off the top of my head, like Tababa, um, he does like three quarter shoot style Muto pro, uh, which a good buddy of mine, Tahara, uh, Yuichi Tahara. He has a hand in the booking there. So they use me. Um, but these are, you know, um, but, but, you know, Fugo, Fugo always runs a Totokan museum, Fugo, Fugo. And, um, every once in a while I'll go to, to AW, um, that used to be Kyantai Pro. Mm-hmm. It's cool to go there because the young guys respect and they're like, oh, can you show me how to do reversal from here? And, you know, I just, yeah, I would like cool. to learn how to get out of these holds. So you go down there and you go to what used to be Kyantai Pro. You go down there, there's some of those dates out in Chiba. And like I said, same town every single night. Um, I don't know if I brought Kurushimbo Kamen or not yet, but Kurushimbo Kamen, he'll wrestle a giant bottle of beer, no ring, you know, like it takes place in front of a Japanese, bunch of Japanese hipsters, like bohemian people with long stem cigarettes. And um, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, on top of it, there's several bars that I go to mm-hmm. where I can sell my merchandise out of. Like the minute I show up, yeah. there's a very Japanese businessman. And, you know, the bar owner will chat me up and be like, hey, this guy, uh, another good friend of mine, she runs like a really small bar where she has to be out of there by midnight, which is perfect because, you know, you sit around drinking for a few hours. You're like, after you've done your gym and everything else, or mm-hmm. even after one of your bookings. And it's just like, ah. Eh, good merchandise you have a bunch of beer you talk with these guys about the good old days what they used to love about wrestling and yeah but yeah a lot of it for me this time around centers out of magic box pro because 
they're the ones that fly me in. They're the ones that bring me in. They're the ones, you know, uh, it used to be before like Onita would bring me in. Pogo would bring me in, uh, more and more lately. It's been magic box pro that's mm-hmm. picked up the, cause they'll go to other independent promotions and they'll say, Tony's in town. You know, she mm-hmm. want the chainsaw and everything. And they're like, listen, you know, we spent X amount of money to fly this guy in. You got to help us out here, mm-hmm. you know, right. And, People are very cordial over there. Yeah. You know how many promotions I work for? Look at Basement Monstar. I work for Fight of the Century, Fight of the Ring, um, even like, uh, oh, God, Nagase's promotion. The guy that wears the karate gi in the ring. Um, The the work that I do for his um, Fight of the Ring promotion, Mm -hmm. uh, Basement Monstar. You can sit there and from 12 o'clock to two o'clock, one company will come in there and run. Then there's another company that comes right back in right after them. 18 pro wrestling is another one too. That, um, God, when I attended their new year's Eve party, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Uh, it's Tomohiko Hashimoto when he co-owned the place. Um, he told me, he was like, well, now you're linked forever with this crazy family, <laughs> you know? So 18 pro wrestling that used to be Apache pro before Wayne Kanemura had his big scandal and turned over the ownership. Okay. Um, so Hasegawa is now the sole owner and I love Hasegawa. Another great guy, another guy, you know, um, but you'll see as each of these companies run, there's a Joshi promotion that runs in there. Mm-hmm. All of them run in Basement Monstar, and it's only 15 minutes from my house. It's only like four stops away. But the most amazing thing about them is mm-hmm. you'll see banners, and they have giant magnets on the ring post that they just pull off, and the next promotion comes in. Click, sets click, it up. and then it's their turn to run in it. <laughs> it's, it's fucking, smart. I swear to God. It's really smart. As God is my witness, it is the biggest wrestling junkie indie haven on this planet. To sit there and watch six different indies come in back to back to back all day long. And the other indies, they're like, shit, if I knew you were here, I would have booked you on my shit. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and they're like, what are you going to do? I was like, I was going to go out and have some lunch and, you know, bring it back here, eat me some soup and stuff. And I was like, I was just going to sell gimmicks. I, di- I didn't know that it was your company coming in next. Uh-huh. And they're like, well, what do you think about wrestling? I'll, I'll send somebody out for food. I'm like, hell yeah. Let's go. I was like, look, I got my, yeah, I was like, I was like, I got my Tony Myers gear too. If you want me to work twice, I don't care. Yeah. Dude, boy. He's like, I was like, just don't go taking advantage of the brother price because you know, I'm already here. Yeah. yeah. Is the only thing I'll tell them, you know, like, I don't mean to sound like a prick or like I'm a big star, but that is, is the best. I would go to the corner store one time. I know there's a laundromat that's like right down the street. Mm -hmm. So literally, I dried my gear as I went to like a 7-Eleven, got some hot coffee, some finger foods, and I went back to the laundromat, grabbed my frigging gear out of there. <laughs> <laughs> it is, this is it, dream. if you love pro wrestling, you love the indie, and you just want to wrestle, you can just stay at Basement Monster all day long. Do fans come in, do you, do you say like, Regular fans come in essentially in the morning and just stay all day and just watch everything. There are yeah, there are fans that I see, and it's so funny because those same fans that you see do that, 
they come for like two or three or four different shows. They leave with giant like shopping bags full of stuff. Full of gimmicks, yeah, yeah, they, absolutely. Yeah, they bought everybody's T-shirts, everybody's 8x10s. And it's so great seeing them stay. And it's kind of like the inside joke because they're sophisticated fans anyway. But mm-hmm. I never let them see like Tony Myers messing around with Leatherface's mask or sure. Chainsaw Tony's mask. You know, it just stays totally different to me. Yeah, It's like two different worlds. You'll see me just walking around like regular singlet. Mm-hmm. with my you know black and red boots mm-hmm. knee pads and and you'll see me like warming up outside the ring <laughs> like i just got done wrestling <laughs> as like as chainsaw tony like for the prior show or whatever yeah and you'll see me in between just warming up you know like one of the fans will look at you and wink like yeah you just had a good match <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, who did no i wasn't even here no, i just, I just, arrived, I just arrived just got into the <laughs> 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 that that's but, yeah, awesome. Um, it, it I could just go on and on and on about. I mean, it's like I, I'd mentioned Yoshiaki Yatsu. He still has SPWF. He still has people, you know, that are putting the bill for the place. He's getting the place for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. They bring a handful of people, and it's just indies. Uh, just from you know, especially the Guma area. It's kind of spread out. But there's just indies all over. Yeah. Eagle Pro is now running more in Saitama. But Gunma, yeah, they're always using my buddy uh, Hiroshi Shimada's ring. A.K.A. Great Pogo, A.K.A. Uchumajin Power Silver X. <laughs> Jesus, what a name. <laughs> he, has, he has had so many... I was laughing like Crusher Takahashi. Um... I wrestle him on a bunch of independents all over the place. Mm-hmm. And um, he himself, I'm like, you know, uh, I was just joking with him. I go, one time they, I saw you wrestle in some place you were Alien Guts. His name was Alien Guts. That's a great gimmick. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why is Ta- Crusher Takahashi wrestling as Alien Guts? And he goes, Oh, I told him I'd give him a good deal, man, if I showed up with a mask and did double duty. <laughs> <laughs> so he just invented a gimmick for the thing. Is there, like, for for people who want to try and, um, like, plug into more of that Japanese independent scene, are there any, like, um, streaming services or YouTube channels or anything like that that you would recommend them trying to get around? Because I always love seeing that stuff when I'm, I'm in Japan trying to see whatever I can, but it can be hard to track, you know, if you're stateside, if you're, you know, in Western society and stuff, you know, because it, it can be pretty, you, you know, know, underground. That's, that's another advantage of the Stanley Club that I go to, mm-hmm. a bar that's in Shinjuku. Mm-hmm. If they, outside, there's shady characters. They'll try to sell you everything from drugs to hookers. They're just idiots, you know, yeah. and you're like, get away from me, you know. Yeah. But um, when you go into that Stanley Club, randomly you'll see like a june kasai as the special guest bartender or yeah this guy that guy and just by talking to like like gus ishikawa you know you talk to him and you're like what's coming up and he already knows a plethora like eh, sano himself knows like a plethora like every indie that's coming up everybody that's running everywhere you know um i try to tell guys all the time there's two places that are really wonderful. If you get a foot in the door, mm-hmm. actually there's four. Um, one of them is Museum Zoo, and all the guys that train out there, 
it's a girls' promotion, Sure J Dojo, mm -hmm. but they allow men to come in there and work out. Mm -hmm. Either one of those two for working out, or Magic Box Pro is a place that if you know somebody and you can go up there and you're allowed to work out once they see you got talent, once they see a foreigner there, they're like, oh, special. But I just try to tell people, please don't think that you could just show up and they're going to be like, oh, wow, we can't wait to use him. He's a foreigner. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, the, the money's not there because people don't know who the hell you are. Yeah. And even if you get the special treatment, it's like, you better work twice as hard because that guy just paid for a $200 sushi meal for you. Like, yeah. you know, like, don't think you could be an unknown and, and you... When you go into their dojos, Ice Ribbon used to be another place where me, Tahara, a whole bunch of us would always work out at that Ice Ribbon Girls Dojo. And You know, I, I mentioned Kiti uh, Yano's name before. Yano um, would run his own house shows there. Mm -hmm. And I remember the promotion WXY. Uh, yeah, it was um, WYZ. WYZ was a promotion that... They would tape their content in front of maybe 20, 30 people, mm -hmm. and it would only be three matches. Mm -hmm. But they're charging like $40 a ticket, and sure. they sell their downloads. They make them available. The problem is that like, whenever you see stuff from Japanese indies that's uploaded on YouTube, mm -hmm. it's usually bootleg pirate yeah, like stuff. it's like fan footage and stuff. Order. Yeah, yeah, it's not the good cams and stuff. Yeah. So it's like they want you to go indirectly to these promotions so you can get all their downloads. Or they want you to go to the shop in Taka, Takasaki. Mm -hmm. to go to, they want you to go to that museum so that you go and buy their DVDs or footage. or mm -hmm. you know, um, It's the same way in Totokan. A lot of the tiny indies have their own stuff there. That's, why they, that's how they want you to support them. Or, but for guys looking for work, best thing that you can do um you know outside of the places i mentioned pure j dojo um kindai which is now 2aw if you could get your foot in there i knew a lot of people that the problem is is that when you're spending money to go to a place like that because they're dojos and dorms and everything it's like a grand for the whole month but that doesn't include your food and all the other stuff that you get into mm-hmm so it's like it costs the promotion nothing because you're just sleeping there. Yeah. But it, and I think the most you can stay is a, a month on that kind of like, I guess you could stay with a tourist visa mm -hmm. for a few months, but you're only allowed in their dojo for one month for that kind of money. And it's like, I was around, I mean, I, I was around Nozawa forever. But the deal where they have where you spend like, what, $3,000 to go and try out in Noah's place or mm -hmm. for, I, I, don't, I don't know what that money entails that you're spending to, to go over to Noah just to say you had a match there, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And then what's being invited by New Japan, I mean, you would have to have rocks in your head to go into an open tryout. I mean, if you saw the dozens upon hundreds of thousands of wrestlers that try out there. Mm -hmm. You're better off going to Adam Hamaguchi's who teaches um, like shoot wrestling. You're much better there because I mean, 
Number one, to keep you in shape. Number two, everybody, everybody, everybody from Tajiri, Tetsuyo Naito, Hanma, some of the biggest friggin' names in New Japan wrestling all went through Hamaguchi's before they became professional wrestlers. Yeah. Ichiri Aguchi went there. The, the list is endless. Yeah. And when, um, man, I'm tending to ramble, I know. No, no, When no, I no. went to Hamaguchi's, uh, he opened up a brand new gym, uh-huh. which is like four stories. Mm-hmm. So it's way bigger. And his wife, his daughter's always there. That's the girl that had the two silver medals in the Olympics and the bronze. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Keiko is no joke. I mean, she's got shoulders like grapefruits. But um, it's only like 100 bucks a month. And, you know, for their classes, you have to be accepted into their amateur class. I'll stand up there all day long. There's guys that come through, you know, that um, they're now big names for like, Big Japan wrestling. Mm-hmm. I remember some of those guys coming there and saying, please teach me self-defense. Mm-hmm. And I remember him feeding them to me and going, show them how to lock up like pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Adam Hamaguchi would come over there and be like, this is how we lock up for amateur wrestling. He's like, see the world of difference? Mm-hmm. He's like, you're going to have to know this if you want to do that. Yeah, exactly. Go you know, learn, learn those basics and fundamentals and things like that, right? It's awesome because, you see, I, I swear to God, I'm not any kind of shooter. But the stuff I learned down on the mat at Hamaguchi's is fucking gold. Mm-hmm. And it helped my cardio out. It shot my cardio through the roof. Because you know how it is. If you can go through 30 seconds of shoot wrestling, you know, and then one-up that and keep going through it. I went to a boxing gym the last time I was there mm-hmm. just because it was a boxing gym. And... I was just like, wow, something new. Besides my shoulder at the time, I thought it needed surgery. So, you know, um, to to me, it's like with pro wrestling, it's what a beautiful universal world it is because you discover there's so much to it, you know? I mean, they they stick guys that aren't training pro, pro wrestlers in the ring over there. And you're just like, especially on Muto Pro, uh, that's a group that's like three quarter shoot, and I'm not a shooter, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll I'll grapple with anybody. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I can always get somebody's ankle. I can always grab somebody's arm. There's always a way out. Yeah, and I'll I'll fight for it. Why not? <laughs> well, I want to well, show people that I can actually wrestle, wrestle, and they don't just think I'm all deathmatch and jumping into piles of. If there is a compilation on uh, YouTube, though, of me taking one explosion after another, 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 <laughs> another, and it just gets like redundant where you see, like, you're like, oh, I thought I saw that one. Oh, that was a different guy. Oh, that was Mammoth Sasaki hitting him over the head with that bat and exploded. <laughs> you know, like, it's just. It's, um, I, I think, if anything, like the, like your entire journey and, and, everything is really summed up into really just doing whatever is needed. You know, it's, it's versatility and it's, it's networking and it's just being there for everything. And I think there's like a, a lesson that can be taught to wrestlers um, that it's like, there can be a living and you can live that Japanese dream and, you know, of wrestling there and doing that thing and, and being a full-time wrestler by really just being willing to, 
listen, learn, work hard, you know, network and just, just see where it takes you because that almost carny – well, not carny is the wrong word, but, you know, like the territory system or whatever that was back in the day and stuff where it's just constant like doing whatever needs to be done still exists there and it's still going yeah. really, really strong, which is really cool. And it does. Like how many – how many times somebody said, Hey, talk to them, man. They, they really need you there. They want you there. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. No chainsaw. And I'm like, sometimes I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but chainsaw Tony would help draw them in more. Mm-hmm. And then I go there and I see like first three matches on the card, all amateurs, all guys like a kickboxer yep. versus a karate guy, mm-hmm. like a boxer versus like a jujitsu guy. And you're like, huh? And then you're going out there as Tony Myers. You're like, this is not the kind of crowd that you would have Chainsaw Tony running through the crowd. He's a conservative, laid back. They want, yeah, they want combat sports. Yeah. They want like a combat looking thing. Like when I did my whole series with Tababa, it was awesome because me and Tababa did it for Hanawa. We did it for Fugo. And then it culminated, climaxed with us doing a dark match for Muto Pro. Mm-hmm. But uh, at Muto Pro, like the third match, the dark match that we had, they were like, it was it was a draw. And they let the fans just sitting there to think, a draw? But these two are ready, you know, Tababa beat Chainsaw Tony, then Tony Myers beat Tababa. We needed this third match to, because you know, the more sophisticated fans knew Tony Myers under the mask, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, then me and Tababa, and, you know, he's like, okay. He's like, I have an idea. I was like, what's that? He comes to me on the microphone and he goes, we got to have this settled. Before you go back to America, people, is it okay if this match winds up on the main card? And, like, you start hearing the audience clapping and, you know, they're like, now they're starting like a steady clap. They're like, clap, 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 clap. And he's like, all right, you got yourself a deal. He's like, Tony, we got to break this tie. Mm-hmm. There's no way I want you to go back to America without knowing who the better man was between the both of us. Mm-hmm. And before and the second we got back there, I just looked at him. And I was like, okay, I'm taking your finisher then. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, yes, I am. Yeah. And there's nothing you could do about it. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I'll sandbag you. I'll lay down on you. Then <laughs> there's nothing you could do but cover me. And you know, yeah. Um, See, that, that goes a long way. That's mean, that's man. part of it, you know what I mean? That showing him that you value yeah. what, what you've been doing, you know, like that's that's important. Yeah, and then like Tababa in his own promotion, when I came back to Japan, mm-hmm. we had two matches with each other. We had two singles matches with each other. And then finally, like the, the last one I had, I said, listen, I'm just some goofy American guy. I, you know, I was like, take a look at it. I was like, this right here is called Thanksgiving in America. Mm-hmm. It's time for family to be together. And I was like, I look around here in this crowd tonight. That must mean that you're all my family. <laughs> and then um, then we get attacked by a couple of guys. And that was the main event, you know, on the show after that. Coming back for Dababa was me and him teaming up. That's great. And then, uh, That's how you do it. Then it got to where we actually, oh, it was so funny. We, we actually lost that match. Mm. And he goes, Maybe old Tony Myers can't do it, but I know somebody who can. <laughs> and he pulls a chainsaw. He pulls a chainsaw out from the back. Yeah. And he goes, So tell your friend, 
please come down here next month. All the fans, me, we'll all come again. We'll all have a big party again. He's like, come on out to the next show, people. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of these guys. I was like, this is so awesome. That's like, that's wicked. <laughs> Tell your friend. <laughs> it's classic. Yeah, like bring along a friend. Because <laughs> like you say, yeah, everybody like, knows, right? And they're like, yes, now we're actually going to do it. That's awesome. And then he goes, uh, he goes, hey, I just got an idea. He goes, listen, I'm fat. And he goes, so what we're going to do is, he's like, we're going to add just 3,000 yen on the end. And he goes, and everybody gets to drink free tea and eat all the sausage and food that they want. Everybody was like, whoa, the fans heard that, whoa. <laughs> so it's, you know, even on the tiniest indies, um, you know, the indie bubble burst in Japan, I'm going to say around 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. where everybody was just, they're like, we're not going to make any money, you know, by having a new federation come up. You know, so let's just continue to have dream matches. Yeah. And and let it splinter off into other independents. But mm-hmm. you know, uh yeah, Thai was another place that was developed for they just wanted guys to have ring time. Mm-hmm. And you would see them at this food market on a busy Saturday, and you would see several hundred people in the crowd. Yeah. And they're just watching three different matches. And like after those three matches, which were stretched out to like 90 minutes, because some of those matches were like 40 minutes. It was just designed to give ring time. Um, but yeah, that was ran by old Iron Shoes. Um, uh, the referee, Iron Man, Nishida. Um, it was like indie splintering off of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mumei, which uh, one of my best buddies is uh, still to this day. Hiroshi Watanabe. I love that guy. He was a tiny undersized guy I met in IWA Kokasai, and then I wrestled for a battle aid at a Shinkiba first ring. Mm-hmm. And several indies that we went to, they were like, we want you guys, because you guys club and beat the shit out of one another. And I was like, because he's safe. Yeah. He'll, he'll, that guy would hit me with the hardest God forearms. And if you've ever seen the legs on him, in, in reality, he's only about 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, mm-hmm. but he's got tree trunk legs. That little bastard there, man, when he would drop kick me or suplex me, holy shit. Just killing it. But here we both are in our late 40s. Yeah. And other independents, like that's when Battleweight picked up on it. They're like, we heard that you guys have been having some real barn burners out there in Gunma uh-huh. around the indie scene there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, can you guys bring that same rough shit here? Yeah. And I told him, I would, yeah, I would, I would tell Watanabe, um, because he was actually one of the zombies when I met him. <laughs> he was either zombie one or two. <laughs> he was a young boy uh, just getting in where he could with uh, Koro Surumi and IWA Kokasai. I also saw him two years into his career. He wrestled the original Tiger Mask. Oh, really? This is like, this is like 95. This is like my mm-hmm. second year in yeah, Japan. Well. And I thought, holy shit, that's the original fucking Tiger Mask. Yeah. And he's wrestling this young boy. It was like a five-minute exhibition, but all he did was his signature Tiger Mask stuff. Yeah. And by then, he was older and heavier, but it was just like, 
I'm at this random independent watching this, and I'm like, holy shit. So, the, you know, like this is this is the amazing part is that like that just like underbelly of like Japanese independence that exists where you can just walk into that and and I see it all the time on like like social media and stuff. It would just be like this dude's at this bar or this thing. There's just this entire <laughs> scene that that flows through it. I think um, we're going to be back in Japan in like February, March. So I'm definitely going to have to hit you up and be like, where are the places I need to go to? Because it's not exactly like it you can just Google them, you know? Yeah. Or you could you could always go, Shinkiba First Ring is the ECW arena of Tokyo. Yeah, I've been to Shinkiba a few times. There, it's awesome. Look on their site. Mm-hmm. Look on their site because mm-hmm. Stardom's runs there, everybody. One time Onita co-ran with Stardom's, mm-hmm. like right around Halloween. That's it. And... We were on the, we were the main event of like a stardom show. Like, when does that ever happen? Yeah, but it was this so weird, great. it was this weird crossover where Onita was dancing in the ring with little girls and it was just strange. But I'm just like, ah, well, you know, another great day. Yeah. I, I've, um, I've told um, a couple of stories about like my journey to Shinkiba on this podcast. And I think it really is one of like my absolute favorite wrestling venues. It's just in the middle of like this warehouse district, you know, I mean, you can just walk down there from the train and it's just got this yeah, great tra- vibe about it. You could see from, yeah. And you could see from the glass elevator, mm-hmm. you could just about damn near see yeah. the actual warehouse that it's held in. Mm-hmm. When we and, when we first did it, we kind of uh, we didn't get off at that main train station. We decided we felt like a walk. We love to walk in Japan, and so we hit, were in another area, kind of nearby, and we just decided to walk it. So we're just like walking, you know, along the water and along the road and stuff like that. And it's just getting more and more kind of warehousey, and so we're like, where the fuck are we going? Like, what, like what? What is it? There's like fish markets and sign. stuff. <laughs> you probably saw that. Yeah, you probably saw that one humongous sign. With the arrow pointing, Shinkiba first ring, and you were like, "Oh!" I did not see a sign. I have never seen a sign, oh, so no. <laughs> I have to find that next. Time. You know, on the other side is where Muto Pro runs. They oh, run really? That Muto Pro runs on the other side of those tracks. Oh, okay. But it's in it's in that enormous municipal building where you walk in there. There's a little girls doing gymnast uh, gymnastics. Mm-hmm. There's people in the swimming pool, like an Olympic pool. <laughs> There, it's a sports complex, and, yeah. and you're like, they have one room that was sectioned off to Muto Pro, and yeah. I didn't even tell you about the Super Sleaze Wrestling feds, like Madman Yamada runs there, Futo Nita runs his own company. Um, I've seen them do a death match, a 45 minute death match in front of like two paid fans. 45 minutes, <laughs> and right after that, it's amazing. I saw I saw it because it was on the grounds. It was on the actual ground, like where the grass is. Yeah. Before you get the before you get to Karokan Hall. Yeah. So they figured that these fans would come out anyway because yeah, and they had two paid fans. And then one of the fans that paid, they said, Can you run camera? <laughs> Hold this camera here and make sure it records. <laughs> so he paid and to go the other, and then he's he's holding the camera as well. Yeah, then they told the other fan, they said, Hey. They told the other fan, hey, can you come in here, referee? We forgot. We don't have a referee. <laughs> and these these two other people That's walked the up in the middle shit, of this. Yeah. It was so it was hysterical. Two other fans walked up and they were like, Oh yeah, we don't have anybody to take any money, ticket money at the door. So they told the one fan, they go, 
hey, you be the ticket taker. We'll, we'll, we'll pay you. We have three paid people now. And then the guy's like, mm, okay. So then we'll pay person, you. Everybody. We've got three paid people and they're already like running cameras. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and this goes on for like, you know, in between their 45, five minute match, like they would stop what they were doing. Like, oh, stop, a fan. And they go over there and get the guy's yen and take his money. And the guy would be paying like 40 American dollars for this. And then, um, so when it was all said and done, they got a referee. Then the one fan that they went in, they got that got to be like a normal fan. The other fan was like, you know, now running the door and they let another fan in. So they were, la you know, everybody was laughing going, two paid fans. They, they had a 45 minute match in front of two paid fans. Like, wait a minute, the other four people paid too. <laughs> But yeah, but then they had to around. pay them back for doing the different jobs yeah. of the crew. <laughs> but that's just hysterical. That's something that goofy would happen. Yeah. It was, was was that the gimmick of the match? Like the point was we're going to do the shittest thing of all time and do all these things? Or was it literally like just that shit and they were just making it up as they go? It was just them pretty much just making it. They had their gear with them because they were participating in a battle royal. Inside uh, of they're like, let's just it's essentially so they, busking they, at this they point put out on the internet they only have like one or two posters that they put out but they put out on the internet hey special match Futonita versus madman yamada <laughs> like death match on the ground oh, oh, the the people that went there couldn't couldn't find the place because they're like well, we don't see any grass around <laughs> karokan hall but they were going to Corokan anyway, so you know. I can't. Where where is the grass? Like I've been to Corokan Hesitas, I can't really think of where there's any grass. I don't know where they, but they <laughs> found enough because I saw a video of the match. Yeah, I saw a video of the match, and they like shot the two fans that actually showed up and paid. It's it's so funny because you have also you have obviously been in Japan so many times, and you're also like I don't know where this was. <laughs> then they had. Um, Oh, one time I saw Shitiano, uh, Katiano. Uh, he ran a match in a hallway, and there was like five paid people. No ring, no nothing. It was in a hallway. I love that. In front of the bar. I'm obsessed with that. The, this is the kind of events I want to attend. This is everything I wanted, man. I'm like, this is so super sleaze-tastic that it's just it's hysterical. It's this is classic. Unbelievable. Like, I, I would be one of those paying fans to see this tragedy unfold. I thought about doing one myself out in Winnow Park because they have Winnow Park right by the museum. It's got all that grass. There's always people doing like mime and magician yeah, acts. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. yeah, and I thought, yeah, let me find somebody on our own house show out there. Even if it's in front of 10 baby people, like what the fuck? It, you know, It'd just be funny. Or wrestle and be like, wrestle like they do in Mexico and be like, hey, we'll pass around a bucket when it's over. <laughs> exactly. a, a little something for our efforts. Just like, in the traffic. It, it, yeah, it's just, it's Shindy Haven. You I know? love it. It's, it's just, yeah. I love it. Uh, there's a there's a match that exists somewhere with Mamet with, um, oh, not Mammoth Sasaki. It's, uh, 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 Mammoth Honda. Mm -hmm. Is this guy who notoriously is just unathletic and just boy? He he was like one of Ultraman Robin's people. Who Ultraman Robin has his own fed, mm -hmm. his SGP, which runs at a train station once a year, and it's beyond packed. I mean, if you ever saw the video of this thing, 
there's at least four or five thousand people just wandering around to vendors and how they have this thing set up. But anyway, that's amazing. Those two got out in the middle of nowhere and had a match on the side of the road and sold this download and sold this DVD of this thing. And you know, there were people out there that were willing to buy it. I saw um Minoru Suzuki. The guy's like an almighty god of fucking New Japan. Mm-hmm. I saw him do an indie shot for that group that I mentioned. Fuck, ult- fighting Ultimate Crazy King. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, fighting Ultimate Crazy King, and they yeah. put in, they put a star, or they put an asterisk after the U, so it's F U, and then the asterisk C K. This, the, and that's that's amazing. They they really like know what they're doing with this stuff. It's it's they're just so funny. Indie, they're they're probably the lowest rent indie next to the JWA that run. But they have the best one building. They should be the highest ranked. <laughs> but like they've been running for way way over ten years. But um, fuck has never had more than like forty fifty people. Only the time Minoru Suzuki came. You saw, like, the first match on the show was backyard-level horrifyingly bad. But then when you see the main event with Minoru Suzuki and the cameras panning around, you're like, wow, there's actually, like, 250 people there. Yeah, they've all rocked out to see him. And people are, and people are handing Suzuki, they're handing flowers. So I got a bit curious, and I looked it up on that, that CageNet site, mm-hmm. the German site. Yeah. I looked it up and it was sandwiched in between two matches he had from New Japan. <laughs> I was like, who came down here to this tiny little indie? Yeah. Who were probably giving him a couple grand, you know. It was probably one of the loyal fans that wanted to see him. Yeah. And he, and they, he they so so what, he like left a New Japan show, came down to fuck, did a match, and then left and went into and, and then left because he had a day off from New Japan. And he's allowed to freelance. Yeah. Liger did that. Liger Liger went to Eagle Pro. And everybody was like, holy shit. He wrestled a Cosmic Soldier. Mm-hmm. And it was just like for Liger to take off from his busy schedule in New Japan mm-hmm. to come down to Eagle Pro and do one tiny little shot in this smaller fed was like, whoa. But they don't realize those guys can and will freelance. Like if, yeah. you know. Exactly. The money's right it, or it's a friend or he owes a favor or something like that. You know, they, they're going to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So the indie, the indie scene over in Japan split off into so many factions. I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, I mean, I guess they don't really forget where they come from either. You know what I mean? There's a lot of tradition and honor and, and respect that runs deep, you know, so everybody. When, I, when Aoyagi would run his stuff or Tarzan Goto would run his Goto Ipa in that tiny little bar that he used to help and work at. Um, I mean, some of Tarzan Goto shows only had 15 people on them. And other shows drew well because it was like him versus Pogo. Loser of the match has to serve the other one tea wearing a dress. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So it's like even the tiny little promotions like Goto Ipa. Yeah. We're still doing pretty good for a tiny little shit indie. Mm-hmm. And you know Goto had to give, you know, Pogo like money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not just talking to here here's a couple hundred bucks. Eh. It's Pogo also, himself lived living all the way up in Goonma. 
Yeah. He is not doing, he's not doing any, any shot unless, you know, as far as I knew, Pogo, the best brother price he would ever do it for is like 500 bucks. Yeah. Wow. So and, and that and would that, be like that's a, not small for like a small show that's drawing like 30, 40 people, you know, that's a lot. Right. But like, you know, they would, um, it, it's synonymous back in the day they had Nisei Onida, uh, Nisei is Japanese for fake. Well, um, and of course, his legal name was Moria. Nobody understood. Nobody could ever figure out where he got his money from. But he would wrestle for Goro Surumi's IWA Kokusai, and they would bring in all the some of the biggest fucking names. Even Shoji, you know, you know, um, Shoji. Uh, um, uh, the, the the guy that used to he used to be the former um, journalist. He was also a baseball player, mm-hmm. Nakamaki. They'd give him a few hundred bucks, you know. And and if Gorosurumi was short money, he would just go to him. That was his money guy. Yeah. I don't know what the arrangement was. Nobody understood where the money ever came from. <laughs> it was shady deals beyond strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, she found himself. He was one of his best buddies, and Sano had told me he was like, it was weird. He was married to this Filipino lady who spoke no Japanese. And then after he passed away, his son came to Sano and he was like, I heard my dad made big money with wrestling. He was like, he always had us in lavish places and everything. And Sano was like, we always assumed that he made all his money. Like elsewhere, wrestling. yeah, elsewhere. The, like the rest of the people are like, wasn't us. <laughs> we can never know what the arrangements or what the, yeah, you know. I mean, exactly. He could have, he could have had him like um, Gorosurumi worked at like a little kiosk, like as his regular job because IWA Kokosai wasn't going to pay all his bills. Yeah, sure. And he has one son that's like mentally irregular, very erratic guy. And he had a guy that wrestled as his son. So people sometimes confuse the two of them. <laughs> but right there in Todekin Museum, I've seen his Uchu Meijin X, mm-hmm. his Uchu Meijin mask. Mm-hmm. You know, the alien invader, outer space, the mask itself, the black hockey mask mm-hmm. with the X on it. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. That's been in Todekin Museum. It's one of the first things you see, like on, on like one of the walls when you walk in, you're like, holy shit. And, um, yeah, anyway, he worked like part-time at a kiosk. He probably incorporated Nisei Onida. He probably incorporated him to do some, you know, I know that he was always driving him around mm-hmm. and he was always his money guy. So mm-hmm. Surumi had to have him do some kind of hustling, you know, yeah. to get IWA, get the funding out there and that kind of thing. Yeah. Some kind of like, like dodgy side hustle on the side. Yeah, that Shogun guy, he was hardly even a trained wrestler. And yeah. he paid Onita all that money to have a death match with him on the roof of his house. And like the roof of his house had like a swimming pool, hot tub, <laughs> mm-hmm. all kinds of gardens and stuff like that. And he paid Onita on prime national TV. He paid Onita big bucks to come in there and yeah. basically beat the shit him in the death match. Yeah. There Which is, is that- funny because... I was going to say that there is that sort of thing in Japanese culture, right? Where like status is a thing. Like they, 
they want to, with sponsors and things like that, it's about, you know, showing their friends that they've got money and they can do these things and stuff. So they'll splash out on something like this just to essentially show other businessmen that they can, right? Yeah, and show them, hey, look at me, I got clout. Yeah, exactly. It's like like that whole status thing. On on that on that very same day, they showed um, they showed now she signed himself. Mm-hmm. Had a match with the Shogun guy in the guy's living living room. <laughs> then he got done with that match. He got the shit kicked out of him by Sano. Then he goes upstairs. No need to beat the shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you paid for out. this. Why why did you fucking pay these two dudes to kick the shit out of you in your yeah, own like, house? And that's pretty much what he had told him in, in a, like a promo when he was kicking his ass. Yeah. Why but Why like, have you done this to yourself? But I guess it's that thing when, you know, then he goes and sees his buddies at the office or whatever it is like, see, I told you I'd fucking do it. You know, it's it's that that kind of thing. You never know what walk of life, what aspect. You never know how. And like I said, the thing with Shogun and Onita was that was on national TV. Oh, so wow. he had to. Spent a shitload of money yeah, for that block huge. to air that. That's huge, exactly. It's a, it's it's very strange, but but that's like the amazing thing about Japanese wrestling. And man, I I can't tell you like your your journey and like all this kind of insight into the independence is fascinating to me. It's like such a an interesting life, and I, I'm so excited for you to be heading back again and I, I'm really hoping there's a, a brief window of opportunity to, you know hopefully not too broken down by the time uh, we hit Japan in March we can grab a beer I can catch a show or something because that'd be really cool man. Oh, that would be absolutely incredible I've got to thank you Tony I can't believe oh, you. man, you've I, given I me so I feel like I could talk to you for five days <laughs> well we, we can do we can do I'm this again my man. <laughs> I'm only here so no nah, no nah, this, this, yeah. this has been absolutely awesome I want to thank you so much for giving us your time uh, for, for giving everybody a little peek into the world of Japanese wrestling. Um, it's real, guys. And if you've ever got the ability to journey to Japan and see this stuff, like it's just a never ending rabbit warren. There's a reason why I've been to Japan. Well, it'll be seven times coming. It's because not only is it a beautiful place with beautiful, kind people, but there's also just this amazing you know, hotbed and an undercurrent of independent wrestling that runs through the entire place. So make sure you check out everything Tony Myers. Follow the links. They're all in the show notes. Check out the YouTube. We're going to put this interview up on YouTube as well. So if you want to listen along, uh, again, I guess if you're listening to this part, you've already <laughs> listened to the whole interview. But if you want to hear it again <laughs> and, you want, and you want to watch the video, it'll all be up there uh, from the madman himself. So for everybody out there, for Tony and for Face and Feels. Remember, it's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling. Thanks everyone for listening. Faces and Feels is a DIY project created and edited in-house by me, Rafe Houston. You can show your support by following us on Instagram at Faces Feelscast, Twitter at Faces Feelscast and Facebook at Faces Feels Cast. Or send us an email with topic suggestions or feedback to facesandfeels at gmail.com and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Our banger theme is Loose Lips Sink Ships by the Thunder Vipers. Check it out on Spotify. And now hang around for a quick word from some friends of the show. Peace out. Peace out.
Deathmatchworldwide.com, the official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G-Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more. If you are a Deathmatch Wrestling promotion, manager, or platform and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent view. Oh!